the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Friday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Before we get started, a couple of things I want to mention. First of all, I want to thank you for your generosity in our radiothons with Food for the Poor, both Thursday and Friday. No, today's Friday, Wednesday and Thursday. I'm sort of confused. One thing I do recall, and this is the second thing I wanted to mention, is today is James Blinn's birthday. We'll talk more about that when he joins me later this hour, but happy birthday, James Blinn. Taking a look at the news, the top news story of the day, President, well, besides James' birthday, President Trump today announced that uh, new Centers for Disease Control guidance will classify houses of worship, you know, the church, as essential. He called on governors to allow them to open right now after being closed during the coronavirus lockdown. The president announced the policy for churches, synagogues and mosques during a short briefing at the White House that was anticipated most of the morning. The governors need to do the right thing and allow these very important essential places of worship to open right now for this weekend. The president said if they don't do it, I will override the governors. Now, it's not clear what he meant by that or if he has the authority to do so, but he was making a point. In America, we need more prayer, not less, the president said. Well, the announcement came after the president had been hearing concerns from faith leaders who were unable to hold Sunday services due to coronavirus restrictions at a time when their parishioners were grappling with the crisis. Families may be grieving the loss of loved ones from the virus or struggling with job losses, but unable to seek respite in their places of worship. The president uh, earlier in the day said of houses of worship of all faiths, I consider them essential. Well, on Thursday, the president had a conference call with 1,600 pastors and faith leaders from around the country, including Tony Perkins, president of the Family Research Council. He reassured them that he wants to get the churches reopened. Now, this isn't just a willy-nilly reopening. This is under guidelines that have also been provided. The president telegraphed the decision on Thursday when he announced that he spoke to the CDC on finding ways to reopen houses of worship during the pandemic. We've got to get our churches open, the president said yesterday. Well, churches across the country had to close down due to the stay-at-home orders necessary to stop the spread of the, the contagious virus and to flatten the, uh, the curve. Faith leaders set up online services. Families tuned in on Sunday mornings from their computers at home and throughout the week. Earlier in the pandemic, the president expressed optimism that churches would be open by Easter Sunday. That was the 12th of April. But April turned out to be an extremely deadly month for the pandemic. And parishioners had no had to celebrate Easter from home. While some faith leaders have agreed that social distancing rules have violated First Amendment religious freedoms, others have defied state and local rules and tried to reopen, while still others say we must respond to the governor's orders and uh, worship as we can until those orders change. Attorney General William Barr warned that coronavirus restrictions by state and local governments should be applied evenly and not single out religious organizations. So last week, the CDC released new guidelines that schools, businesses and other organizations can use as states reopen from coronavirus shutdowns. The document excluded guidance for churches at that time and faith based groups because the White House raised concerns about the recommended restrictions, according to the Associated Press. 
But again, the president earlier today made the announcement that houses of worship are essential and called on governors to open them up. One resource that was brought to my attention earlier today, and I posted on the Georgine Rice Show Facebook page, is a series of um, resources uh, from uh, the an institute, and I'm looking for the name of it as I'm speaking to you, that has provided resources uh, for uh, emergency events, the Humanitarian Disaster Institute. We talked, I believe, with one of the uh, founders of HDI earlier, but they've now provided three documents that might be uh, helpful at this time. The first is Reopening the Church Guide, the second, Spiritual First Aid Manual, and the third, Family COVID-19 Toolkit. Now, these three researches are, resources rather, are available to help churches in this transition period. The first, Reopening the Church Guide, guides to reopening churches uh, step-by-step, biblically-based and research-based approach to resuming in-person ministry. It's 26 pages. It's free. It's a manual that you can download. And again, that link you can find at the Georgine Rice Show page. The Spiritual First Aid Guide is a step-by-step disaster spiritual and emotional care manual developed to address mental health issues caused by COVID-19. And the third, Family COVID-19 Toolbook, uh, it was created uh, from a compilation of resources curated by the team there and students, especially for parents, caregivers, and teachers' care of their children and families during this unprecedented time. Again, it's produced by the Humanitarian Disaster Institute. You can find uh, links at the Georgine Rice Show Facebook page. Susan Rice's uh, comments from 2017 have resurfaced, denying knowledge of the Trump team surveillance that has raised some eyebrows. It was a memo to herself affirming what she reportedly, or presumably, already knew. Well, the three-year-old interview clip of uh, former National Security Advisor Susan Rice resurfaced earlier this week after the declassified email she sent to herself on the final day of the Obama administration was released. It suggested that she had lied about her knowledge of the Obama administration's surveillance of President Trump's transition team. The clip came from an April 2017 appearance on PBS NewsHour. She was asked about the then-breaking revelation about members of Trump's transition team having been surveilled before he took office. In the last few hours, uh, we've been following the disclosure by the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, Devin Nunez, that in essence, during the final days of the Obama administration, during the transition after President Trump had been elected, that he and the people around him may have been caught in a surveillance of foreign individuals and their identities may have been disclosed. Do you know anything about this? Uh, She was asked by Judy Woodruff at PBS. I know nothing about this, Rice said at the time. I was surprised to see reports from Chairman Nunez on that count today, end quote. However, the newly released email on Tuesday appeared to indicate Rice had knowledge of the surveillance that took place that led to the unmasking of then-incoming National Security Advisor Michael Flynn from his communications with the then-Russian ambassador. The email, which was written in January of 2017, documented on the 5th of January Oval Office meeting with then-President Obama and others, during which he provided guidance on how law enforcement needed to investigate Russian interference in the 2016 presidential race. Meanwhile, Brett Hume says declassified uh, memos or the email from Susan Rice is suspicious on many counts. Senator Ron Johnson says the declassified Rice email shows Obama officials sabotaging the incoming administration. Well, 37 Planned Parenthood affiliates applied for and received a total of $80 million in loans from the Paycheck Protection Program. Tucker Carlson uh, learned and, uh, now, uh, and reported that now the federal government wants the money back saying that the affiliates should have known they weren't eligible for the coronavirus stimulus payments. 
The Small Business Administration is reaching out to each involved Planned Parenthood affiliate, explaining that affiliates of larger organizations with more than 500 employees aren't eligible uh, for the PPP distribution. Planned Parenthood Federation of America alone had more than 600 employees. A Texas man has been charged with coronavirus loan fraud, topping $5 million, one Texas man. And Jane Roe in Roe versus Wade, the Supreme Court case, said that she was paid to support the pro-life movement. A lot of back and forth on that. And if we'll have time, we'll go into that later in the program today. Nearly 108 pe- million people in China uh, in the uh, Jilin province could be forced to back into lockdown after a growing group of new coronavirus infections triggered a backslide in the nation's push to return to normalcy. The abrupt reversal in China's northeast region has once again cut off public transportation, closed schools, and led to to another round of quarantine. Uh, Fan Pai, who works at a trading company in the nearby province of Liangning, told Bloomberg News that people are starting to feel more cautious again. Children playing outside are wearing masks again. It's frustrating because you don't know when it will end. Well, we feel their pain. The new clusters of coronavirus cases have also ignited everyone's uh, worst fear that a second wave of the deadly disease could be on the horizon. In fact, it's almost guaranteed. The ex-World Health Organization and uh, ex-WHO official says coronavirus uh, is not increasing in uh, reopened spots. It is um, uh, as though something has changed. Again, uh, a comment from an ex- World Health Organization official, and wearing a face mask can reduce the coronavirus transmission by up to 75%, according to one study. So if you're vacillating as to whether or not to wear one for your sake and for the sake of others, apparently you should. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Later in the program, we're going to talk with Jeff Tracy. He is the cowboy cook. He's the king of barbecue. He's the host of Barbecue Nation and Grilling on the Green. We're going to talk about grilling during the pandemic and helping your dollar stretch and maybe those cuts of meat that you, well, wouldn't have chosen but are available. So he'll join us in the 5 o'clock hour. And it's James' birthday. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, winding through some of the top news stories of the last several days. Also, James Blind will join us on his birthday for a couple of segments of the lighter side of the news. And we'll talk with Jeff Tracy, the cowboy cook, the king of barbecue, host of Barbecue Nation and Grilling on the Green at our sister station, AM860, The Answer. We're going to talk about grilling on Memorial Day with maybe those lesser cuts of meat that uh, are available that you wouldn't necessarily have uh, made your first choice. All of that coming up in today's program. Well, the Southern Poverty Law Center, known for their loathing and mislabeling of conservative groups, has cut out some respected Christian organizations as Amazon has allowed the Southern Poverty Law Center to decide which charities users can give to. Alliance Defending Freedom is working to get the annual shareholders to vote on the issue. And White House Press Secretary has given a a moving tribute to Ravi Zacharias. To have someone from an academic place as an apologist could equip you with these uh, arguments where you didn't have to check your brain at the door when you become a Christian, where there is the intellectual foundation for everything we believe. That's a statement from um, McEnany uh, explaining that there's a prophecy, there's the human cell, there's the amazing creation of the human body and all of its complexity and the planet, the universe. And she went on to say, 
And he put up uh, a philosophical and academic rationale for the heart that I had uh, for Christ, but gave me the ability to go to Oxford, where there are renowned atheist scholars who try to say there's no intellectual undergirding for Christianity. She continued, Ravi Zacharias, who happened to have an office at Oxford, was the person who provided the counter to that, the intelligence behind why we believe what we believe. Again, a tribute of, uh, for Ravi Zacharias at the White House. And Georgia continues to show impressive numbers since reopening. The governor, Brian Kemp, marked the lowest numbers of COVID-19 positive patients hospitalized in Georgia at 986. That's down 34 percent since the 1st of May. The numbers are encouraging, but we must remain vigilant in our effort to fight this virus, he said on Twitter. Uh, Avik Roy pointed out that Georgia, in Georgia, everyone will remember is the the governor who'd been going um, who was going to ignite the second wave, not so fast, it didn't really happen. So kudos to Georgia, at least for now. Well, in a letter to the President Trump, more than 600 doctors on Tuesday um, called for an end to the national shutdown aimed at slowing the spread of the coronavirus, calling the widespread state orders, keeping businesses closed and kids home from school, a mass casualty incident with exponentially growing health consequences. Well, the letter outlines a variety of repercussions the doctors have observed resulting from the coronavirus shutdown, including patients missing routine checkups that could detect things like heart problems or cancer, increases in substance and alcohol abuse, the increases in financial instability that could lead to poverty and financial uncertainty, which is closely linked to poor health. We are alarmed at what appears to be the lack of consideration for the future health of our patients, the doctors said in their letter. The downstream health effects are being massively underestimated and underreported. This is an order of magnitude error. Well, more than 1,200 California pastors vowed to hold services in defiance of the state order on Sunday. But since the president made the statement earlier today, that may not be the showdown they anticipated. Meanwhile, GOP members of the House of Representatives, led by House Freedom Caucus Chairman Representative Andy Biggs, have asked the president to halt new guest worker visas temporarily as the nation starts to reopen and recover from the coronavirus pandemic. My colleagues and I urge the president to suspend granting new uh, guest worker visas for at least one year so that Americans are not forced to compete with foreign labor as our nation recovers. In the letter to the president, House members um, reportedly applauded measures that the president took last month when he signed an executive order limiting immigration into the United States for 60 days, but asked that he expand the restrictions to cover temporary workers as well. Patients who have postponed or canceled doctor's appointments or treatments due to the coronavirus pandemic should get in touch with their doctors and resume their health care routines. That's according to the president and CEO of Cancer Treatment Centers of America. Dr. Pat Basu is warning of a shadow curve that may result in a dramatic spike in undiagnosed and untreated non-coronavirus illness. In other related news, doctors are sounding the alarm that as coronavirus has sparked the drop in cancer diagnoses, there could be more cases undetected. CDC now says coronavirus does not spread easily via contaminated surfaces. And China is seizing control of PPE factories, sparking fear of new coronavirus wave without sufficient equipment to address it. The vice president compared hydroxychloroquine to poison, saying, now I get that Biden, uh, rather David Harsini uh, responding, uh, now I get that uh, Biden thinks it's cute to merge the myth that Trump wants Americans to inject themselves with bleach and the president's unproven prophylactic use of hydroxychloroquine. It's worth noting, however, that the presumptive Democratic Party nominee is also now telling Americans, including those who need this low-risk prescribed drug, 
that has been approved for all public use for over 70 years, that taking hydroxychloroquine is tantamount to injecting yourself with bleach. And businesses can breathe if liability is limited. In a Wall Street Journal op-ed, they point out that Republicans' approach to appealing uh, is appealing in theory, but in practice, it can't be implemented without detailed regulatory standards, which, in the case of COVID-19, won't be written for some time. Rather than permanently change liability standards based on incomplete information about the virus, it would be wiser to enact an immediate but temporary immunity that would permit the economy to begin reopening while allowing time for federal regulators to promulgate standards on which long-term immunity could be conditioned. And Senator Kamala Harris has introduced a piece of legislation making it um, uh, condemning anyone referring to the uh, Wuhan virus as the Chinese virus, saying it is hate speech. The resolution is uh, going to be before Congress soon. Minnesota governor says restaurants uh, get 50 people, churches get 10. That was before the president spoke regarding why restaurants could host 50 people outdoors, but uh, religious centers could not. The governor said there is not a perfect answer. He claimed that the decision making was uh, based on the predictability of the venue, but then said that many religious gatherings have predictable crowds. Well, we'll see if that um, levels out, given the president's statement earlier in the day. NBC is accusing Peloton of cultural appropriation. Former New York Times editor David Kaufman explained, the more I use my Peloton bicycle, the more I don't feel so good about the company behind it. Because just as their new, now famous holiday season in last year convinced many people that the company had an unacknowledged gender problem, their video and music programming suggests to me as an African-American that they also have an unrecognized race problem. The target demographic suggests uh, they are most likely disproportionately white. So apparently the choice of music can now be labeled, according to this former New York Times editor, as racist. The list is growing longer and longer. On this day in history, 1992, Johnny Carson hosts NBC's Tonight Show for the final time after a 30-year reign. Jay Leno would take over the host uh, position three days later. 1955, Jack Benny competes his last live network radio show after a 23-year run. Some of you will remember Jack Benny. 1960, an earthquake of magnitude 9.5, the strongest ever measured, strikes southern Chile claiming some 1,655 lives. 1964, President Lyndon Johnson, speaking at the University of Michigan, outlines the goals of his great society, saying that it rests on abundance and liberty for all and demands an end to poverty and racial injustice. Didn't work out quite the way he had hoped. 2014, the U.S. House of Representatives passes legislation to end the National Security Agency's bulk collection of American phone records. However, the USA Freedom Act would be later blocked in the Senate. The global coronavirus case uh, numbers have surpassed 5 million um, early Thursday, nearly five months after the first infection was reported in the Chinese city of Wuhan. The virus has now spread to more people in under six months than the total number of severe flu cases each year, which is estimated to infect about three to five million globally, according to the World Health Organization's. Oregon's latest number, the cases of COVID-19, a new strain of coronavirus that began popping up in January, uh, according to the latest numbers, this is f- this morning, Oregon has had 145 deaths in the state, 3,817 cases. In Washington, 1,044 deaths uh, and 19,117 cases, um, says the uh, mayor of Astoria in anticipation of the uh, holiday that's coming up. We want this Memorial Day weekend to be quiet, slow and safe. 
Uh, he has uh, one of 26 mayors from cities across Oregon who joined the governor in asking Oregonians to stay local over Memorial Day weekend. And a temporary rule allowing people to potentially pump their own gas at Oregon stations, where it's typically prohibited, comes to an end this weekend. Oh, how grateful I am. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Take a quick break. James Blinn, the birthday boy, will join me. We'll take a couple of uh, well, lighter side of the news stories for your uh, amusement. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. As I mentioned at the top of the hour, today happens to be James Blend's birthday. And with great uh, respect and celebration, may I introduce James Blend on the anniversary of his birth. Wow, that was that, that was uh, definitely a uh, noble A strain. <laughs> it was a strain is what it was. Well, happy birthday. Well, thank you. It's uh, got any big plans obviously... for the day. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, no, I don't mean to, I don't yeah. mean to be laughing at you, but um, the uh, I think the idea of big plans for any day right now are just kind of uh, laughable. So, no, there's not much plans. Just a a dinner to go and time with the family. That's about it. That's about all we do these days. So, um, yeah, it is a shelter in place, a birthday in place, if you will. Uh, kind of and day. your sweet girl. Your sweet girl has a birthday coming up next week as well. Yep, Thursday. She'll be five. Wow. So, which is just crazy. But uh, I'd love to say that, that this year, last year passed, by, flew by like crazy. But really, it, it, it did until the last, oh, three months or so. Uh, so, you know, it's at this point, I think she should be turning 10 in my mind. <laughs> it only feels like that. But this too, my friend, shall pass. Indeed. Happy birthday. Thank you. Yeah. Hey, did you hear about what Portland's living room is uh, asking us to do? The Portland uh, Pioneer Courthouse Square is requesting community members to participate in a free crowdsourced time capsule video uh, by sharing how they are spending time in their living rooms throughout the unprecedented period of this pandemic. Get the alliteration there. In this historic moment, they write, while we have been unable to gather together in the heart of the downtown area, we want to hear from community members throughout the region and document the changes we are collectively experiencing at home. It is our goal that through this shared virtual exercise, we can remember that from Portland's living room to your own, we are all together. Oh, So they're asking people to make videos that, that tell them uh, what you're doing in your uh, living room during the quarantine, um, what you're looking forward to um, about being downtown when the quarantine and the shelter-in-place order is lifted. You can uh, find more tips and all the information at thesquarepdx.org if you'd like to be a part of this time capsule that when the next pandemic comes around, oh, I don't know, in a year or two, um, they can look back and see what we did during the pandemic of 2020. Again, that's thesquarepdx.org. Um, and you can submit your find out how to submit your videos and make them and all of that kind of a fun thing. You know, people are really going to or have been having to come up with ways to do things a bit differently, how to maintain social distancing. Well, one priest had a rather unorthodox way of administering holy water to his parishioners who were social distancing. It's become something of a sensation online. He was uh, very serious about the, the whole thing. But Father Timothy R. Pelk of the St. Ambrose Parish in Detroit, he sprayed holy water with a squirt gun on his parishioners. Now, he could maintain his distance and his aim at the same time. Well, adapting to the need for social distancing, he continued its, uh, the tradition of blessing the Easter food baskets drive-through style. 
and uh, Father uh, Tim used a squirt gun full of holy water. I'm not really sure what holy water is, but anyway, um, he did what he needed to do. Standing a few feet away from the vehicles, he was wearing a mask that covered his entire face. Maybe he was a little embarrassed and included a see-through screen on Easter weekend. He's seen spraying the squirt gun at his parishioners and food baskets. He told BuzzFeed News that he wanted to do something cool for the children for Easter. And the water gun idea was approved by his friend, who is an emergency room doctor in Detroit. The original idea was to do something for the kids of the parish. They were uh, already uh, about ready, rather, to have um, Easter unlike any of their past. So we thought, uh, what can we do to observe all the protocols of social distancing? And underneath the original post, people, um, as far as Austria, uh, commented on the photos. The idea also became a hit on Twitter. So, you know, we're adapting to the new normal in ways that one might not expect. So when we all return to church sooner or later, now the president made his announcement earlier today, that doesn't mean all churches are going to immediately reopen their challenges to doing so safely. Buildings won't be permitted to have the same numbers of people at one time if it does not permit social distancing. So there are going to be some changes. Uh, facilities have to be wiped down and sanitized and all of that. But when uh, congregations begin to return to fellowship, we'll see what other creative ideas some pastors and uh, others might come up with. What do you think about the squirt gun idea, Jimmy? Boy, you know, it's funny. It's one of the things I've been talking a little bit about uh, about my about it with my wife and uh, the um, she, you know who is a Catholic and she yeah she's not down with it. it it's it seems a little bit strange to me <laughs> because I saw a picture of the squirt gun in um, uh, in a picture and while certainly it does not in any way shape or form look like a real gun, it's it's really weird to think of anything e evoking holiness that is neon green and orange. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think that that's kind of, you know, those, those colors are probably more blasphemy unto the Lord than they are uh, pleasing to him. Uh, but, um, you know, this isn't the eighties anymore, people. Uh, yeah. Well, but, the kids apparently were, were happy. So. Yeah. The kids are happy. I mean, you know, and, uh, I, I just, uh, yeah, I, I chuckled when I read it, but, uh, it's one of those you go, okay, that, that's cute that that happened once. Let's hope that doesn't catch on. <laughs> well, Burger King is getting in on this whole thing of social distancing as well. They're debuting their social distancing Whopper. They're adding extra onions. It helps others stay away. They want you to have it your way and make others stay away at the same time. Burger King Italy has playfully added another layer of social distancing with the debut of the Whopper triple loaded with onions to keep others at a safe physical distance amid the pandemic. Well, a commercial promoting the so-called social distancing Whopper hit the YouTube or hit YouTube on Thursday, uh, opening with footage with a woman waiting for an elevator. A man who evidently ate the onion-loaded Whopper then appears and says, hello. Repulsed by the stench of his breath, the woman shoots him a dirty look, clenches her fists and turns away taking the stairs instead. So this might have some merit. The triple onion whopper that helps others stay away, the quick clip it concluded in Italian, according to a translation. Well, the spokesperson for Burger King wasn't immediately available to comment on the current availability of the social distancing whopper. The hilarious dish promised to pack a punch with three times the amount of uh, tear-inducing, sometimes stinky vegetable 
onions, according to the commercial. Meanwhile, customers in North America will soon be able to dine inside select BK locations once again as the fast food chain's parent company strategically reopens their dining rooms in compliance with government ordinances amid the COVID-19 crisis. We'll have to ask for their own extra onions, though, as this burger has not made its way and it's not planning on making an appearance here in the U.S. So are you ready, James, to go into a facility to eat your meal or in this case to pick one up and maybe take back out again? You know, I think I am OK with that. I think, um, you know, I am on the side of I would not want to go necessarily at this point into a large crowd um, today. I mean, ask me in a month, I might have a different opinion, but uh, a a not overcrowded restaurant, you know, it's not like your situation where, you know, you try to go to like a Red Lobster on Mother's Day brunch and, uh, you know, the lobby has more people in it than the full restaurant does. Um, but, uh, you know, if it's a uh, controlled situation, yeah, I'm willing to eat in a restaurant and I'm willing to pick it up. Um, I probably would choose to wear a mask when not eating, uh, but... Uh, you know, that's just because I like to eat with my mouth open. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's an interesting story. Did you know that beards evolved so that men could take punches to the head safely? That's according to a new study. Men sporting big, bountiful beards might have a reason to feel more confident, and not just because women might be more attracted to guys who can grow them. I'm not sure that's true, but research shows that flowing facial hair might have evolved to help men fight hungry humans better absorb blows to the head, according to a new study published in the journal um, Integrative Biology. Well, the findings are the culmination of several research projects by the same team of, on human resilience, including experiments on the ability of the human face to take a punch and the human hand's efficacy as melee weapons. <laughs> what kind of research is this? We found that fully furred samples were capable of absorbing more energy than plucked and sheared samples referring to men with and without beards. That's according to the jaw-dropping experiment, which um, was conducted uh, most recently. Fortunately, no humans were slugged in the name of science. Instead, this team employed a, an epoxy composite skull covered in several styles of sheepskin. So there you have it. You thinking about growing a beard? You know, I, it, it was. I think everybody, you know, everybody jokes about the uh, the Corona beer that and whatnot that they've they've grown in the time. Or, you know, a lot of, of course, a lot of people have not been able to get the you know their hair on top of their head cut either. But uh, I, I I don't know if you've noticed this over the years, uh, but I do have a struggle with growing facial hair. Never really been able to do it. So even a month of growth, and I I just look like. Um, I don't know what I looked like. I looked like maybe I got some cotton candy on my face. <laughs> I'm um, just going to leave it at that. Yeah. Me, me, you know, so I, the idea of seriously growing out a beard uh, is, is a dream I don't think I'll ever see happen, sadly. Mm. So you're vulnerable, in other words, to a blow to the head. We're I've take always a break. been. Yeah, I always have been. <laughs> We're going to take a break, but we'll be back. You're listening to the Friday edition of The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back on this birthday of James Blend. 
taking a look at some of the lighter side of the news. Also want to remind you, coming up in the 5 o'clock hour, we're looking forward to talking with the cowboy cook, the king of barbecue, Jeff Tracy. He's the host of Barbecue Nation and Grilling on the Green. Both programs are heard on our sister station, AM860, The Answer, on Saturdays, beginning at 2, running all the way through to 6 o'clock p.m. So Jeff Tracy will join us to give us some grilling tips and, you know, if you couldn't find what you wanted at the grocery store, you, they don't have the cuts that you may have preferred or you're used to. You can give us some tips on what we might consider uh, doing to make that cut that you did get well, a little bit better. So that's coming up in the five o'clock hour. So, James, you grew up in New York. Did you guys have cicadas there or is that further south? Oh, we had cicadas every almost every summer. I was in um, Virginia, Washington, D.C. area one year when they were coming out and it was something I'd never considered or thought of before, but they are really quite remarkable, and they only come out every decade or two, sometimes longer. Yeah, if, if, uh, growing up, it felt like there were some out every year, uh, and I don't know if that was just different batches or what that was exactly, because I, I, I'm aware now, obviously, that they're more of a once-a-decade thing, but to me, they're kind of like the background I always used to hear in the summer days. You'd hear them when you woke up in the morning, and... Uh, You'd hear, hear them till about 3 or 4 in the afternoon, and then they'd uh, check out for the day. But uh, you know, I remember when we moved here, uh, and it, there weren't any. It was kind of like, hey, it's really quiet. That's weird. <laughs> well, it's not just the noise. Sometimes the abundance when they're having one of these big reveals, if you will, um, that they're just everywhere. Every place you put your foot, every place you look, the, the lawn is moving well, it was 17 years ago after making their last appearance that a vast army of these little bugs, they're set to emerge from underground in Virginia, West Virginia, and North Carolina. They're from what's known as the Brood IX, which is, what, nine? The scales of these emergence uh, events, I guess they call them emergence events, is astounding, with as many as 1.5 million cicadas emerging per acre. That's not the total, per acre uh, Virginia Tech in a statement said that each periodical cicada brood covers a specific geographical region with some areas overlapping. The natural phenomenon will span southwest Virginia, parts of North Carolina and West Virginia, according to the university. Experts warn that the cicada's egg-laying habit can pose a risk to orchids, vineyards, and ornamental trees. Uh, they can occur in overwhelming numbers, and growers are in, in uh, uh, predicted areas of activity should be watchful, they are told. Um, brood nine is interesting to researchers because it's located very close to five other broods. So I guess it depends on where you are, when and how they emerge. Part of the region covered by brood nine, for example, overlaps brood two, which emerged in 2013, but they're hiding out for now. Other broods are also attracting interest. The Magic Cicada website reports that the 13-year periodic cicada brood I'm not sure what number this is. I think it's 19. Also known as the Great Southern Brood is expected to emerge in 2024, but significant numbers appear to be emerging four years earlier. So, uh, again, these uh, these bugs are fascinating to study, but not so much fun to step on or try to avoid when you're coming and going outdoors or you're finding them in the house. Uh, you probably were too young to remember too much about it, but were they a nuisance for you all when you were growing up? I mean, I wouldn't say they were a nuisance. They pretty much stayed up in the trees. Uh, every once in a while, one would fly by, and you'd certainly uh, um, see you know, deceased ones on the ground from time to time. Or uh, every once in a while, you'd also see some that had because uh, they shed a they shed a layer from time to time. 
and so you'd see the crunchy remnants of uh, of an outer layer. But uh, at least from my standpoint, I, as a kid, I don't remember them being a particular nuisance, unless you really didn't like that noise. And like I said, I was kind of, I suppose, conditioned to it so that it was, in the summer, just kind of normal. Yeah, acceptable background noise for you. Yep. Well, in another story, Crayola is releasing Colors of the World crayons representing more than 40 skin tones. I have to admit, I'm a little bit uh, thrilled about this. I would open a box of crayons and you'd look for flesh and it was this kind of pinkish thing. It didn't have any brown in it at all. And it, I don't know, it always puzzled me. But everybody is beautiful, Crayola is saying. They've released an inclusive new line of crayons to celebrate just that. I'm going to buy one. The iconic art supply company has created a palette of 24 global shades for its new Colors of the World box, which is designed to illustrate more than 40 skin tones. Because Crayola uh, believes that every child should be able to creatively and accurately color themselves into the world they see around them, the brand hopes the new line can help uh, cultivate a more inclusive world for kids of all ages, races, cultures, and ethnicities. Now, if they could just extend this to Band-Aids, although there have been efforts, they're never quite the right shade, but there have been efforts to be more inclusive in terms of uh, Band-Aids. Everybody is beautiful. Crayola has released an inclusive new line with the world growing more diverse than ever before. It's actually always been diverse. I'm just saying Crayola hopes our new colors of the world crayons will increase representation and foster a greater sense of belonging and acceptance. All that in a crayon. Anyway, there's uh, pretty fascinating uh, colors like light medium rose, light almond, light rose, light medium golden, very light almond, light golden, um, extra deep almond, very deep almond, deep golden, medium deep golden, deep almond, very deep rose. Those are some of the names of some of the inclusive uh, colors. And then they have, of course, very pale colorless uh, versions as well for those who are very fair. So it covers the whole Spectrum. I was, was going to say, do they have one for really stinking pale like me? <laughs> yeah, there's no, no stinking pale. It's just you happen to be fair, and there are all kinds of shades. But yes, they do. Uh, they do start. I don't with know. The very... I, I would say, as far as being fair, it, with the how easily I get sunburned, I'd call that unfair. But you know, <laughs> that's just me. <laughs> I'm not going to say anything about that. Let's I know you, you. You. Well, you pretty much do every summer. So why, get it out of your system. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just glad to see they have varying shades of brown that one that might actually match my skin tone and that of others I know. Well, researchers in Florida have rediscovered an ultra rare metallic blue bee that hadn't been spotted in years so long that experts so weren't sure it still existed. A researcher at the Florida Museum of Natural History found a blue calamintha bee on the 9th of March, according to a release from the museum. I'm all for bees. You know, bees have their place. I have my, that murder bee that's now made its way into our area. I'm not, uh, not too happy about that, but I'm glad to hear that this bee they once thought was extinct has now been seeing. They uh, wrote in the release that it was the first time one had been spotted since 2016, which isn't all that long ago. The blue calamintha bee, or osmia calamintha, has unusual facial hairs that are used to collect pollen. Uh, most of us will never be close up enough with a bee to see their facial hairs, which I'm not complaining about, but there you have it, one they thought was extinct, spotted in Florida. This just goes to show we don't really know everything that we think we do. Speak for yourself. Well, yes, you would be the exception. I was speaking for myself. Okay. 
Well, when a young man from England bought a birthday gift for his girlfriend, he thought that adding a nice message would make it extra special. Unfortunately, he wasn't paying close attention while placing the order. The young man intended to order a a glass with the inscription, Happy 30th Birthday, Princess. Love you millions. But that's not what he received. Well, he intended to order the uh, glass with that inscription, but, well, it ended up, uh, it arrived with a message. Can we have it delivered before Monday, if possible, as that's her 30th? Nice one. Who in their right mind would have thought those words were what he wanted on the glass when at some point in the conversation, he also said, happy 30th birthday, princess, love you millions. But somebody at the receiving end of that message assumed that what he wanted engraved on the glass was, can we have it delivered before Monday, if possible, as that's her 30th nice one. So I want you to know, James, that I did not order anything for you that needs to be engraved. Just saying. That's good, especially because in those cases, if I'm not mistaken, don't you normally have to pay by the letter? Yes, I believe you do. So, I mean, not only did he get a whole bunch of content that didn't need to be on on the object, uh, yeah, he uh, probably paid for it, too. Yep, he probably did. Hey, we've got news and traffic coming up at the top of the hour. When we return, we're going to talk with Jeff Tracy, the cowboy cook, the king of barbecue. So stay with us. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome to the second hour of The Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us. And I have to tell you, there are occasions when hosting a program has its rewards. And today is one of those occasions. Jeff Tracy, the cowboy cook, the king of barbecue, host of Barbecue Nation and Grilling on the Green is with us today to talk about how to grill during a pandemic. And Jeff Tracy, I you can't see me. I'm Jim Uflecting, but it's uh, it's a joy to have you with us today. How you doing? I'm doing great. Well, I saw you yesterday and that made my month. So, <laughs> you know, we passed each other in the hall, mask included, and it was it was marvelous to see you again. Well, it was marvelous to see you, too, but I'd like to see the rest of your face. I'm looking forward to when that day comes. (laughs) You got it. What can I do for you, barbecue lady? (laughs) Well, you know, a lot of us are anticipating this Memorial Day weekend, trying to do something outside with the grill. And I thought maybe you could give us some fundamentals uh, so that when we lift the top, we lift the hood of that, uh, that grill what we see there is what we hope to find rather than the charred remains of one once living creature. <laughs> okay. Well, the so, first fundamental is this. Um, make sure your grill is uh, operational. Make sure it's clean. Yeah. Uh, make, make sure that when you lift that lid to check it, a raccoon doesn't pull it back down and say, hey, I'm sleeping in here. You know, um, if you've got the little green furry creatures inanimate objects and that, clean off your grill, clean out the bottom, clean out the grease strap. Uh, if it's a gas grill, check the gas lines. Uh, doesn't take long to do all that. Uh, real quickly, if you want to clean it off uh, and there's no animate objects in there, just turn it on, get it fired up, and let it burn off for about uh, oh, 20 minutes. Then you can take it and... Um, Take your little grill brush and stuff and clean it off, and, and, and then you're ready to go. The, the main thing, though, is um, when you're, if this is the first time you've used your grill, and actually Memorial Day is the biggest grilling weekend of the year, not Fourth of July, Memorial Day is. Hmm. And um, 
you know, make sure your grill is kind of preheated and all that. Then when you select what you're going to do, let's take something like, you know, steaks or pork chops or something. Make sure all your grill zones are working fine. Uh, if it's just for two of you or three of you, four of you, for, you know, family type uh, scenario, um, keep one side of your grill hot. Keep the, uh, another side. Most gas grills have at least three burners. Keep one of the burners off so it's a little cooler over there. So you get your rhythm back into cooking. So if you lift that lid and something's getting a little too hot, you can move it over to a cooler side till you can adjust your heat in there. Okay, that's kind of a trick that you can use so you don't, you know, burning up a nice piece of ribeye or something that, um, you know, they don't come cheap anymore. That's for sure. So and and then, you know, make sure you season them with uh, whatever you like. And there's no reason to get really elaborate, Georgine, with your seasonings, really salt and pepper, maybe a little garlic salt, which is basically salt and garlic. You know, there's there's no mine that we found in Utah that has garlic salt in it. So, um, you know, you can put that on there, and uh, that's a very good basic seasoning, and it uh, works out really good. Make sure that internal temperature gets up to about 125 for medium rare. Uh, one thing you got to remember that that meat will um, continue to cook for a short period of time, not minutes and minutes, but you're pulling something off of a of a 400-degree grill, 450, whatever you're cooking at, and then it's still hot. So give yourself some lead weight. Don't overcook it on the grill, and then by the time it gets to the plate, it's a little more, little more well done than you might yeah. like. Yeah. So, you know, p- use, some, use some noggin sense there. And and that works out pretty good. And it's the same thing for grilling vegetables. You know, when you're going to grill vegetables or even you grill fruit, you know, grilled pineapple is great. Just slice up some pineapple, take the uh, exterior off, put it on the grill, let it get, uh, you know, kind of warm and caramelize on one side, turn it over, do the same thing the other with the sugars. And it's, it's a tremendous treat. It's really sweet. Goes good with everything. So, um, you know, just do stuff like this. Go yeah. back and ask you about cleaning the grill because I've heard different views on the subject. One is you clean the grill because it's a sanitary thing to do between grillings. The other is, you know, the more stuff that's on your grill, it flavors the meat. It somehow enhances the barbecue um, experience. Does the stuff that, that's on your grill from the last five times you had the thing open, as long as we're not talking about spider webs and bugs, does that help the flavor or should you really clean that thing? No, you should clean it. <laughs> you should clean it. You don't want, you know, if you cook some uh, uh, some ahi tuna, you don't want that on your sirloin. They, they're two conflicting flavors, right? And the yeah. longer, like, when, when you cook fish on your grill, and some people, you know, you can use a cedar plank. I'm not real fan, a big fan of that stuff, but, you know, a lot of people do. That's fine. But still, that... The oils and stuff from the fish will get on there, and you have to get them off or you're going to taste it again on your steak, on your chicken, on your, you know, grilled peppers, whatever you're going to do. So clean it off pretty thoroughly. Yeah. Um, Do you you suggest doing it right after you've cooked it, or it's okay to wait until you're opening the grill again, which is easier? Well, really, 
excuse me, the best way to do it is right after you're done with the cook. You know, go eat your go eat your meal, enjoy your company, but before you shut it down for the day, go burn it off. I just leave them on once I turn pull the whatever it is off the grill that I'm serving. I just leave them on and burning uh, until uh, I'm done with dinner, and then I go out and turn it off. So uh, it just it cooks it off right then, still fresh and all that, because you're going to get some oils, some residue, you know, some fat, all that stuff that enhances that first thing you're cooking, but not so much off the second thing you're going to be cooking two days or a week later or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. So take, you know, burn it off right away, clean it off. You know, some people will say, you know, if you've got stainless steel grates on your grill, don't really worry about, like, putting a little coat of oil on them or anything like that because with this stainless steel, it's it, it doesn't really work. If you've got cast iron grates, yeah, you can put a little oil on there, just a little paper towel with a little, um, you know, like vegetable oil. Be, be careful about the oils that you choose. You know, if you're going to, like, use olive oil, that's got a very low burn point. And so that can give a kind of a burnt, nasty flavor to stuff. Peanut oil and vegetable oil, they burn at much higher temperatures. So, um, you know, that will actually do what it's intended to do, which is kind of keep the grate moist until the next time you're going to use it. Okay? Do you have a preference between the use of coals, the old school way, and the gas grill where you have a flame that's at the turn of a switch? Not really. I use them both. Uh, but I use them for two different things. The flavor you get from charcoal burning is quite unique, and it's really good. Uh, but it does take a little more time. Uh, you really have to do with, if you've got a, like a Weber kettle, for example, you know, half of it should be your your hot side, your direct heat, and then I always keep the other half of it uh, for uh, with no coals under it for indirect heat. Because uh, when you put the lid on, you know, it gets... Uh, that that warm air stays right in there. So um, it's easier, it's faster to do it with gas grills. More people in this country cook with gas grills than with charcoal or pellet or wood stick, you know, anything like that. And it's, it's a matter of convenience. Um, the flavor, they're... They're pretty much the same, except I do think you get a little better flavor with charcoal. That's just my personal opinion. Um, and I'm kind of a traditionalist in some sense. So I like to do that. But the thing is, with the gas grill, you can turn it off. It'll cool off pretty fast, and you can go about your business. With the charcoal grill, you have to wait for the charcoal to kind of, you know, die out. Um, you certainly don't want to stick your hand down in there before it's time and uh, which I have done before. So you have no hair on your right arm or something like that, you know? Um, so uh, it just takes a little longer to do charcoal like that. And pellet grills are the same, you know, they're, they're pretty much self-contained. Um, they've got a, a bin on the side that contains the pellets. There's an auger that puts them down in there. And, and most of those units now are, or digital, so you can kind of get a pretty good idea of what your temperature is in the in the cook box, like that. Now, I always recommend too, and I've you and I have talked about this off air. 
using a good digital thermometer because mm-hmm. the thermometers that are on top of on the lids of all the different barbecues, especially after the second, third season of use, they're not as exact as you would like it. So if your thermometer on your dome lid says it's uh, 375 degrees in there, if you put a probe in there from a uh, an ancillary uh, thermometer, it, it might not be 375. It might be 350. It might be 335. Okay, so don't use that as your temperature gauge. Use a digital thermometer and figure out what you're doing there. I want you to know I ran out and bought a digital thermometer on your advice, so I wanted to be as cool as you are. (laughs) We're going to take a quick break, but we'll continue our conversation. Again, we have the Jeff Tracy. He's the cowboy cook, the king of barbecue, host of a couple of programs. We'll let you know when and where you can hear them in just a few moments. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, and we'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, and I've got my friend Jeff Tracy on the line. He's the cowboy cook, the king of barbecue. He hosts the Barbecue Nation program on our sister station, 860 AM, The Answer, on Saturdays from 2 to 6, and Grilling on the Green, also on Saturdays on AM 860, The Answer. So you can hear him all day long, practically. Um, (laughs) And we're talking about how to grill well during a pandemic. Now, I thought maybe a pandemic would improve my grilling because I wasn't that good before. Thought maybe the desperation would ooze some kind of skill, but it, it hasn't worked so far. So I like to connect with the experts and give you an opportunity to learn something along the way uh, as well. Now, Jeff, I know for a lot of us, we're not finding the cut of meat that we would necessarily have put at the top of our list. We're, we don't have access to as much or the cuts that we might like. Any suggestions sure. on how to grill something that's a little bit less than um, our high standard and still come out with a good meal? Yeah, it, it kind of depends on on what you're talking about, but let me give you a couple of examples. Most people, when they go to this store and they're looking in the meat case, and it's, let's take beef, because that's really, beef and chicken are the two biggest sellers. Yeah. Uh, you're looking at a choice cut, and they, there's a, a grading system in beef, which prime, choice, uh, select or standard and then utilitarian at the bottom, which is kind of what they feed prisoners in the institutions. So you, you want to stay away from that. But because of the, it's not a shortage of beef though, Georgine, it's the processing that's got things slowed yes. down. There's, yeah. there's lots of cattle out there waiting to be processed. Uh, and we've talked about that on, on my show, Barbecue Nation, a couple of times. But um, they're doing their best to get everything back up to speed with this COVID deal and their, you know, more protection uh, between workers, et cetera, et cetera. But that's a story for a different day. But you're, you're, you're seeing cuts of beef sometimes now in the stores that are not from the same suppliers that wherever you shop, and let's just say uh, Bob's Market here, Bob may have been buying from a certain supplier for many, many years, and right now that supplier can't keep up with the pace of the demand. So they're turning and looking for other sources, and sometimes those sources are not exactly the same quality. Now, they're they're safe to eat. Don't get me wrong there, but they may not just be graded out at the quality level that you're yeah. used to. So, you know, if you're going to buy a, a chuck roast that you would normally 
throw in the oven on a Sunday afternoon, and when you get home from church services, you know, it's, it's ready, or you put it in a crock pot, and the, the you know, kind of famed Sunday uh, pot roast dinners with carrots and potatoes and that kind of stuff. If you're going to grill that, my suggestion is is that you you grill it like you would almost a brisket, a little lower and slower on that. Season it well, put it on there, put it on at a couple hundred degrees, and let it... Um, sit there. Now, you might want to put a pan underneath your grate if your grill will allow that. Or you could actually put your meat on a rack in a pan on the grill, okay? Because you want to keep those juices that are coming out. Yeah. That, that's what makes those really good. But I would do it a little lower and slower and then maybe sear it right at the end. Um, that's the new trendy term for the last few years. is called the reverse sear. Um, I don't know. We've been doing that for years, or at least my crew has. So that's not really anything new to us. But you know, get it up to get it up to temp, get it up to where you want, which would be in that 130, 30, 35 range. So it's really moist. Take it off. Uh, take it out of the, that drip pan. Um, sear it a little bit on each side. Go ahead and serve it, and it should be very tender. But you're going to have to cook it a little longer. But cooking it longer does not equate to cook it at a higher heat because then you're going to get the, the rebox that you want, don't want to chew on, you know. Yeah. Um, it's, going to, it's going to be tough. So your, your larger cuts of meat and your, uh, you know, your, your bottom rounds and different things like that that are by, by nature a little, uh, little more chewy, if you will, cook them a little slower and a little lower temperature. And that's my best advice to people like that. Now, your producer, James, our buddy there, asked me about turkey burgers. Yeah. I donate them to, I donate them to charity myself. But um, <laughs> if, you, if you really are sincere and you want to make turkey burgers, they, uh, and, I, and I'll be honest, I don't have a tremendous amount of experience with them. Um, my daughter, when she moved back from Seattle, got on this turkey burger kick, and that lasted Oh, two days here. Um, anyway, I would put if if you if you're trying to make a burger patty out of turkey uh, ground turkey like that, you can add a bit of filler to it, like some um, good you know breadcrumbs or panko like that, maybe an egg, and and kind of like you're making a meatloaf. But I would I would do that, and they'll hold together together better, um, like a regular beef burger that you would buy at the store. Yeah. And so, can I just add uh, for for James, don't don't leave the feathers on. I just wanted to mention that yeah. because I'm not sure he. <laughs> I am yeah, getting absolutely. assaulted here, people. I am getting us. <laughs> this is terrible. I, I should point out before before people think I'm on a turkey burger kick. This is one of those situations where a substitution was made due to the ground beef being out at the time. <laughs> this was not a willing I feel purchase, for you, brother. <laughs> It's all good. It's all good. But yeah, I would, I would do that. And you know, you can always, um, and I, if you know, chicken. Okay, uh, chicken is not that difficult to cook. Um, again, watch your temperature on that. Don't try to put it in there at four hundred and fifty degrees because you're going to have a one crispy little chickadee on that grill and the inside's still going to be raw so it takes a little time to cook it you can fuss with it move it around uh as you need to 
uh, if it starts to get too well done, again, go back to that, put it over on the little cooler side, and let it cook some more over there at a slower rate if you're using Low a gas grill or charcoal. Yeah. yeah. And that works out pretty good. Yeah. Now, I need to take a quick break. Can you stay with us for a couple more minutes? Absolutely. Anything you All want right. here. All right. Hey, we're talking with Jeff Tracy. You can hear his program on our sister station. I should say programs on our sister station, AM 860, The Answer, on Saturdays. He's on the air from 2 to 6, Grilling on the Green and Barbecue Nation. Um, just a great program to learn the fundamentals and some of the you know fancier stuff, what's trending and so on. Stuff he's known for a long time, but we like to call it trending because it's new to us. Anyway, we're going to continue our conversation in just a few moments, so do stay with us. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. I am talking to my friend Jeff Tracy. He is the man. He is the grill king, the barbecue king, the cowboy cook, and the host of Barbecue Nation and Grilling on the Green on our sister station, AM60. The answer every once in a while when we you know, used to work together at the station, he would bring something in. It didn't really matter what it was. When the word hit the crowd, uh, every one of us would get up from our chairs, rush into the kitchen and hope that there would be some scraps left. Because whatever you brought was always the best thing we'd ever had. So I miss that as much as anything else. Your little treats yeah. that you bring from time to time. Now, we, you mentioned earlier in our conversation that people like to grill vegetables and I could feel the chill mm-hmm. just come up my spine. Why on earth would you want to grill those things? But what do you do with a vegetable to grill it? Now, obviously you can't put it just depending on the vegetable, I suppose. You can't put it right on the grill. How do you grill a vegetable and at the end you don't see a burnt disaster that looks like something that would have been produced by a pandemic? Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, Actually, it's it's fairly simple, you know. Um, like, let's take bell peppers, red peppers, yellow, green, whatever. Uh, I I always suggest just doing red, yellow, and orange peppers because they're more colorful. You you know, you can take them and uh, slice off the the stem, slice them in half, clean them out, make sure you get the seeds out. Some people will put a little coat of oil on them. That's fine. And a little seasoning. Some people don't bother with the seasoning. That kind of goes to your preferred taste. But you can just put them on the grill very close to your, your protein, your meat source there, and just watch them. And they'll, they'll start to cook and then turn them over. And you can get some nice grill marks if you like to see those things on them like that. Uh, I happen to, like, spray my vegetables when I cook them. Not all of them, but most of them, like peppers or asparagus or something like that. I season them, and then I'll spray them with a little um, juice from a f- fresh orange. Now, I don't go by Sunny D, Sunny D or anything like that, but it's I'll take an orange and cut it in half, and then I actually just kind of squeeze it on there. Gives them a bit of flavor just before you pull them off. Leave that juice on there for oh, three or four or five minutes before you pull it off. And it does ha- enhance the flavor a little bit. The other thing it does is it keeps the vegetable moist, mm-hmm. um, like like you referred to. Sometimes these vegetables, you can get them too dry. Uh, I, I happen to like to cook asparagus on the grill, and I do the same thing. I'll season it with a little garlic, put it on the grill, um, and then I put uh, do the orange juice trick at that. I also have some powdered honey that I use on occasion, and I'll just take a few pinches of powdered honey and sprinkle it around on top of the asparagus or the peppers or something like mm. that. 
and and serve it up. But it's really just crisping the outside a little bit, and the inside is still crunchy, and because I like crunchy stuff, yeah, um, and, and, and do it that way. So you know, and put that on like a medium high heat, not very, not huge. You know, so if you were going to do it uh, to a temperature, you would probably do it between you know, 300 to 350 uh, in that range. And they'll crisp up nicely, and yet they won't get the charred black look unless you walk off and decide to go play 18 holes of golf. Then you're in trouble. But <laughs> Oh, so I shouldn't do that is what you're telling me. <laughs> yeah, don't, you know, don't try to do them both at the same time. You know, you that, it doesn't work out well. The balance is not there. So, uh, you know, you can do that. You can also do onions. You can take, like, you know, we're coming into the season where we will have some great Walla Walla sweet onions. Mm, yeah. You know, peel them. Um, there's a couple ways to do it. You cut them in half and then score them with your knife. Just make little slits in them. Uh, and you can put that on the grill with a bit of seasoning and then a little tab of butter on right at the end. Um, you know, you can actually cook it the side that you scored, which would be the middle of the onion, that, that flat side, if once they're cut in half, grill that side first, flip it over, put the seasoning on it, let it cook for, you know, a bit. And that's probably going to take about, you know, 15 minutes, something like that. At that Again, at that medium-high heat, put a little tab of butter on it right at the end, let that butter melt and pull it off. And, man, they're really good. Oh, that sounds great. Of course, butter on anything sounds good, but that butter, really butter sounds good. good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, we're into butter, you know. We like butter. <laughs> hey, let me ask you about marinating things. Um, I've always heard that if you marinate something, it doesn't matter what it is. It could be a dead pigeon. You marinate it, <laughs> and it's going to be juicy and flavorful. What are your thoughts on marinating things, and what's the purpose of it, aside from just getting the flavor of whatever's in the marinade onto the... Uh, the protein. Really, your last sentence there, Georgine, was the 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 absolute basic fact. You're just getting the flavor of the marinade on the protein. The only the chemistry behind this. Let's let's talk chemistry just for a minute. And I, and I actually passed college chemistry. Um, <laughs> salt is the only thing that will break down uh, and go into a protein. It's the only thing that will actually be absorbed into the protein. Everything else mm. stays on the surface, okay? You can marinate something for three weeks, uh, and really, if you took it before you cooked it and sliced it, you'll just see a very small color change in that protein at the surface. And, I mean, when I'm small, I'm talking about you need a micrometer to, to measure it. It really doesn't absorb that because the... For like in beef and pork, the tissue is too dense. It can't get in there. It, it just, it's made that way. It's, you know, their, their muscular physiology is a lot like ours. You know, we take a bath every day, but we don't absorb a lot of water. So, um, you know, you could certainly marinate stuff if you want that flavor on the outside. That works. But unless you're going to do some sort of acidic-based marinade, that will break down the meat. And then by the time you pull it out of the marinade with your tongs, it will probably fall apart anyway before you put it on the grill. So, so I'm, have, I'm not a – go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say it doesn't have anything to do with tenderizing the meat. No, not none whatsoever, really. Huh. Not really. Yeah, I'm going to impress just, my friends. It just won't. 
it, it the the like I said the the biochemistry and and the physiology won't let whatever exterior force your terse or substance won't let it absorb into there, and so it just doesn't work that the way people think you know. But you do get the flavor on the surface, but you're just not going to get the flavor in the middle of that piece of, of steak or pork or whatever you're cooking. That's not going to be in the middle. It's all on the surface. So. Okay. Now, we've got Memorial Day coming up on Monday. What are you planning on grilling? Um, you know, it's I'll probably do some ribs. Uh, my family likes ribs. Um, this is actually one of the two days a year that the uh, ribs get used the most. Uh, as far as barbecues, Fourth of July is actually the biggest day for ribs of the year, but Memorial Day is right behind it. And so, um, I'll pro- I'll probably do some ribs, and you know maybe something else. I'll probably do a couple vegetables, a couple onions, or something like that. And uh, I always though, when we're having any type of gathering, even it's, and now you know you're kind of limited to just family, yeah. if you will. Um, I always put some chicken lights on there because. I'm a big kid, as you know, and uh, I've, I've overgrown children's sizes, unfortunately. But the thing is, is if you've got chicken legs around, you've always got something to feed the kitties. Yeah. And I don't mean kitty cats. I mean little little people. Because they'll normally grab a chicken leg and, uh, you know, they may not like steak. They may not like ribs. They may not like. Uh, pork chop or whatever, but they'll usually eat a chicken leg. So I always have at least a dozen chicken legs cooking around. And then, you know, when they're left over, man, they are great to snack on later in the day or the next day or something like that. They're terrific. Great leftovers. Well, Jeff Tracy, I appreciate your... um your knowledge so much. Uh, I want to encourage our listeners to check you out on AM 860, The Answer, on Saturday, starting at 2. You can hear them right up until 6 o'clock in the evening on either a Barbecue Nation or Grilling on the Green. Um, Now, you mentioned that uh, on Memorial Day, you're just having family. What time should I be there then? Uh, I'd say about between 3 and 4. Okay, great, great. Be ready about (laughs) 3 and 4. Yeah, okay. <laughs> because I'm, you know, I got a couple things to do before that, but I'll be, I'll be doing the ribs. I'll put those because it takes about. Here's another little tip for your folks, real quick. You're not going to cook a rack of ribs properly in an hour. It's it takes two and a half, three hours yes. of kind of a slower method to cook a rack of ribs, and you don't want it falling off the bone because that really defeats the purpose. But cook them so they're tender. Cook them at about 210 to 225 degrees, somewhere in there. And, you know, there, season them, rub them, do all the things. You know, when you put a rub on, pat it. Don't rub it because if you rub it, it all balls up. But anyway, really quickly, it takes uh, like about two and a half hours to three hours to cook a rack of ribs. So keep that in mind. Okay. Hey, Jeff Tracy, have a great Memorial Day. I'll see you on Monday. At your house. <laughs> Hopefully in the office soon. <laughs> Thanks Thank for joining Thank us. You, Thank you, Princess. Thank you, Princess. Your Majesty. Oh, I love that guy. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back to wrap things up. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back to wrap things up. So enjoyed having Jeff Tracy on the program. And once again, you can hear him 
uh, weekly on our sister station, AM860, The Answer, on Saturdays beginning at 2, and he runs all the way through 6 o'clock. Very knowledgeable and makes some great uh, grilled food, so check that out. Um, when my father passed away, he was, for me, the grill king. He would literally, he had one of those barrels that was cut in half and made uh, had a hinge on it so you could open and close it. He would start cooking the barbecue in the morning. He would have a little, um, it was like a cloth at the end of a stick, and he would dip that into something to keep it moist while it was on the grill, kind of sopping up this liquid that he had put together. He had a special sauce, the recipe of which um, was handed down to him from his father's father. It was the best barbecue I'd ever had in my lifetime, but he would stand out there in the backyard, smoke rising from his uh, barrel barbecue grill, and he'd have slabs and slabs of ribs, and he'd spend half the day out there working on them. And sometimes you'd go out and he'd give you a little taste of the sauce. And when it was close to the meat being finished, he'd tear off a little piece and you'd have a taste. And, oh, the adventures we had in my parents' backyard with my dad barbecuing, it was low and slow. He took hours to do it, but it was incredible. And I'll never forget that. So now that my father is gone, I can refer to Jeff Tracy as the barbecue king because the other king is in the presence of the king. And well, you get the idea. Anyway, you can check him out. Uh, this Saturday for more tips and uh, great information on grilling and barbecuing. Not really sure what the difference is, but he'll tell you. I want to also encourage you, if you're looking for something uh, good for your mind over the weekend, you can check out No Safe Spaces. It's that documentary about free speech from comedian Adam Carolla, a nationally syndicated radio host, Dennis Prager. It's 2019's top political documentary, and it exposes the toll that political correctness is taking on college campuses and beyond. You can uh, uh, access No Safe Spaces now, available to watch for a limited time only at nosafespaces.com for a 25% discount for KPDQ listeners, nosafespaces.com. And the discount code is just that, SAVE25. Check it out this weekend for a great eye-opening challenge. I mentioned it at the top of the program, and I think it bears mentioning again for those of you who join us late, but President Trump today uh, announced that the new Centers for Disease Control guidance will classify houses of worship, churches, mosques, um, and so on, synagogues, as essential, and he called on the governors to allow them to open right now after being closed during the coronavirus lockdown. They did offer guidance on uh, social distancing, spacing, sanitation, and all of that, but churches according to the president, have now been declared as essential. He announced the policy for churches, synagogues, and mosques during a short briefing at the White House. The governors need to do the right thing, the president said, and allow these very important essential places of faith to open up right now for this weekend. Uh, If they don't do it, I will override the governors. In America, we need more prayer, not less, end quote. The announcement comes after the president has been hearing concerns from faith leaders who are unable to hold Sunday services due to the coronavirus restrictions at a time when their parishioners are grappling with the crisis. Families may be grieving the loss of loved ones from the virus or struggling with job loss, but unable to seek respite in their places of worship. The president went on to say earlier on Friday of houses of worships of all faith, I consider them essential. Now, this, I think, was uh, long awaited from many in the church who wanted desperately to be acknowledged as being an essential part of our community. Well, yesterday, the president had a conference call with 1,600 pastors across the country and faith leaders from around the, uh, the country, including Tony Perkins, president of the Family Research Council, and the president assured them that he wants to get uh, churches reopened. 
He telegraphed the decision on Thursday when he announced he spoke to the CDC on finding ways to reopen houses of worship during the pandemic. And in his public comments, he said if liquor stores and abortion clinics can be open, surely uh, churches can open as well as essential. If they are considered to be essential, the church surely can be considered to be essential. And again, this is under guidelines. They're not suggesting that people go to church, sit shoulder to shoulder as we did before and conduct ourselves as we did prior to this pandemic. There's guidance to uh, outline what needs to be done in order to protect not only the parishioners, but those with whom they come in contact with after services. Churches across the country had to close due to the stay-at-home orders uh, necessary to stop the spread of the coronavirus. Um, We sat out to Easter and uh, that whole uh, holy season and so on. The faith leaders set up an online uh, service or, or online services rather all across the country. Families uh, have been tuning into Sunday mornings from their, their computers at home and the television screens. But now there's the option for those who can and will to uh, come to church. In some cases, perhaps where there were two services, there might be four so that the congregation can be split into uh, numbers that the facility can accommodate. It may be that um, half the congregation chooses to remain at home for the, the season, maybe a special service for those who are more vulnerable, uh, where they alone attend the service and others uh, services throughout the day. In any case, that's what's uh, what the president has said, effective this weekend. Now, how that will um, work with the governors and their stay at home orders uh, still remains to be seen. But uh, that was the announcement made by the president earlier today. And. Uh, We'll just watch how this unfolds in the days and weeks ahead. I want to thank James Blend for producing today's program. This also happens to be his birthday. Once again, happy birthday, James Blend. I hope you have a great rest of the day. I won't be in it, so it's already gotten better. Clark Hilton engineering today's program, Dan Rice, for the use of his office. And thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Really appreciate it. Have a great weekend. And I should mention we have a special coming up on Memorial Day in keeping with the season. So um, make note of that. And on Tuesday, we're going to talk with uh, Jamie Atten. Uh, We're going to talk about the reopeningthechurch.com resource for churches to help them think through all of the practical elements of doing so. There's a link on the Georgine Rice Show Facebook page to download those documents and several others uh, from this organization. But we'll talk with her on Tuesday about that as well. Have a great weekend. Good night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ.